Welcome to This Week in Photo. Bandwidth for this podcast is brought to you by CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This episode of TWIP is brought to you by the new Squarespace. Squarespace introduces a new content management system, making it easier and faster to create a high-quality website or blog, plus mobile responsive designs with automatic device scaling and more than 50 other new features. For a free trial and 10% off your first purchase on new accounts, go to squarespace.com slash TWIP and use the offer code TWIP. Eight. This week on TWIP, Twitter founders launch a new service called Medium. Canon's T4i rash issue results in a recall. And has Yahoo's Marissa Meyer signed into Flickr? Turns out, no. And an interview with Photoshop expert Ben Wilmore. It's Wednesday, August 15th, 2012. And this is Twip. And welcome back to Twip. I am your host, Frederick Van Johnson, and joining me today on the show to discuss this week's topics are Mr. Martin Bailey, Miss Valerie Jardin, and Mr. Ron Brinkman. Hey guys, how you doing? Hello. Hi, Frederick. Hey, Valerie, did I get your name right? Yes. Look at that. Very, See? Very good. What's very my good. name? Look at that. <laughs> <Kind> <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, so let's just let's do a quick roundtable because I want to make we have, we got a lot of stuff to get through. I want to make sure we get it all. So, Valerie, I think you haven't been on in a while. So let's let's start with no. you. What have you been up to? I just got back last week from five weeks in Europe. So I was um, nice going. Well, I was home in France for a while. So it was both pleasure, my summer trip, and then uh, working on a new workshop for 2013. Mm. And um, and I spent a few days in the Netherlands also. But yeah, it was really fun. It now, was, you had uh, a workshop series going uh, that we were talking about last time you were on. How did that go? Yep, or is that still going? It's, it's full and it's happening in October. So I'll be back in Paris in October. And uh, next year, I'll be running the Paris workshop two times in May and October. It's a week long. And I just designed another photo adventure in Normandy, which is where I'm from. So the coast of Normandy in France. Oh, wow. Um, wow. Six days. And it will be running in May and October. The dates are on the website. I just don't have the details yet. I'm still waiting for some quotes to get the, the rates. And, and what's the website for people that want to go check it out right um, now? ValerieJardinPhotography.com. And spell that for Americans that don't. <laughs> <laughs> it's all in one word V A L E R I E J A R D I N Photography. Perfect. All right. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Very cool. And uh, Mr. Ron Brinkman, what have you been up to down in Southern California? Hey, uh, I, I don't remember. I don't know. You don't remember what you've been up to? <laughs> It's been that good. Life is good for Ron, obviously. It's been just one of those sort of kickback kind of summers. I've been working on, you know, some of the iPhone app development stuff. And um, And how's that going? How's your iPhone app going? Tell tell us about that. Uh, It's cool. You know, it's a a fun little app for those of you that haven't checked it out. We just released version 2 as of yesterday. What's it called? It's it's called Freeze Paint. And it's sort of a uh, photo remixing tool, but it's all live. So instead of loading in existing images and... Manipulating them, it's all about pointing your camera at something and kind of 
scrubbing on the image to kind of paint, finger paint in place something you want layered on top of something else. And then you can just kind of point the camera somewhere else and keep doing that and kind of build up these interesting little impressionistic stuff. It's, uh, it's kind of fun as a toy, but I've seen some actually really cool sort of artsy stuff coming out of it where people are doing very impressionistic things. So, nice. which is, which is kind of gratifying, you know, cause you throw something out there like that and you don't really know what the, the traction is going to be on it. But we just uh, we did, the new release just introduces the front facing camera, which wasn't in there before, which makes it much Ooh. easier to do random amusing remixing of your face, which is actually <laughs> my my nieces are going nuts on it. So it might actually turn into being something that's that's good to get for your kids or something because they they totally dig just doing funny things to their face and passing around between their friends. You know what I I would love you know I mean probably not for this show maybe we do a hangout or something I would love to hear the process that you went through from sort of idea for an iPhone app about photography all the way through to it's live in the store because I'm sure you have some stories to tell about that Oh yeah it's uh, I mean it's a lot of work you know it's definitely more work than I figured and, you know I mean I've got a lot of experience doing stuff with an app, with the the oh you know the Apple environment at least mm-hmm. and uh, my my main developer also you know worked for Apple for a number of years. So it was surprising all the little nuance that you end up having to deal with and just tons of stuff. Interesting. And how much how much is that app? At 99 cents. 99 um, cents available now yep. on the App Store. Go check it out. Hello Support now. Ron Brinkman. I, I, I like to say, you know, I, uh, I I tipped a guy last night $2 for making me a burrito. So, <laughs> so in other words, go giraffe. buy the app. So 99 cents, you know, uh, is it, yeah. Yeah, that's just that's, a, that's less than in the United in, in where I am in the United States. That's less than a quarter of a, a gallon of gas. That's <laughs> right. It's right. true. Uh, you know, guys, I, I had a lot of fun with it. I uh, I I played with it when you first brought it out, Ron, and I had a lot of fun. Just I was just pointing it at my computer screen, getting different photos up and yeah, montaging, yeah. just just pointing it straight at my laptop, and you know, it's it's a lot of fun. People, yeah, no, I remember the one that you sent me with uh, some of the snow monkeys sort of collaged yeah. together, and uh, yeah. It's, yeah, it's fun. So. Maybe you know, Ron, maybe we should do a uh, we should bring back the this week in photo photo contest and kick it off again with a freeze paint contest. I would certainly not complain about that. All right, let's talk about that. We should <laughs> yeah, we should okay. definitely maybe do that in one of the upcoming episodes. So. That'd be great. Absolutely. All right, cool. And that other voice that you heard were was the the sultry tones of Mr. Martin Bailey. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> they are sultry. Come on, what are you laughing about? Yeah, right. Yeah, I love you. <laughs> I love your voice, man. What, what's going on, Martin? You and I just spoke. What was it? Less about twenty four hours ago. Yeah, uh, we did. Yeah, a, we did an plus. awesome hangout, and uh, and now we're here talking again. So tell us what you what you've been up to. Yeah, I've uh, we talked about this a bit yesterday as well, but I I've just got back from Okinawa, the southernmost island of Japan, uh, way down there near Taiwan, actually. And uh, that was for the first of the Pixels to Pigment workshops that I've started. That was literally the kickoff workshop. Uh, but we're taking that to Tokyo and then over to the U.S. and Canada next month. And it, it was a lot of fun. It, the, it's a two-day workshop, and the, the, everyone that came seemed to get a lot from it. So that's great. And it's you know also met a lot of great people. The photography community down in Okinawa is incredible. Um, you know, the people like David Orr and Sean Miller took me out for a day. We've got some great shots around the coast and yep. just basically really enjoyed it. Now, you, you were saying that the reception for these workshops um, yesterday when we had the hangout has been really strong. So, uh, but, but I want to make sure we get the word out about it for the folks that may not have heard about it. So tell them where they can go to sign up for it and all that good stuff. 
Oh, sure. If you go to Pixels to Pigment, and that's either T-O or 2, the number 2, pixels2pigment.com, and there are, there's a lot of information on that page about what we'll go through and all of that, but if you decide to, to join us, you need to go, click on the link for your venue. We're going to be in Tokyo next week, and the, after that we go to L.A., uh, Vancouver, San Francisco, New York, Toronto, then over to London, and then to Sydney and Melbourne. So if you're in, an, in or can get to any of those cities over the next few months, click on the links there. The dates are on the, in the link. And just all you have to do is, is go and pay, literally pay to show your commitment. Um, if you don't do that, there is a chance that some of them won't go ahead because we have mm-hmm. to reach minimum numbers for me to actually pay for a flight to get over there. But I, uh, it, so far it's looking good. And if I have to cancel the, the tour for it because we don't make the numbers, you'll get a 100% re- re- uh, refund. But it's, it's basically, uh, you know, I think that we're pretty good for all of them and it's going to be a lot of fun, you know. So if people go over, show the commitment by making that payment, and then uh, I'll uh, I'll be able to come and meet you on your own turf. That was the big thing about this. I've been doing, my my podcast is seven years old in two weeks' time. That's crazy. Um, wow. So, so uh, yeah, we, I'm just um, I'm just working on episode two hundred uh, three hundred forty nine at the moment, wow. um, and so th- this is it's like you know I've spent all of this time talking two people via the podcast. And, of course, we communicate online, but it's going to be great to actually go close to where a lot of the listeners are, already are and actually meet people face-to-face because that's something that with me being in Japan, I don't get a lot of chance to do. So that's going to be a lot of fun as well. Yeah, yeah, that's great, Martin. Congratulations on putting that, on putting that workshop together. That's, that's awesome. I think it's sorely needed. As we were talking about in the Hangout that we did yesterday, the whole idea of when when these printers sort of came along and people were realizing that they could do high quality output from these relatively inexpensive inkjet printers and only to get them home and sort of be disappointed because what they saw on their screen wasn't exactly what came right. out on the printed paper and they'd wasted the ink and the paper and the time right. and all that. You yeah. basically well, what we, we're talking about last night is all that has changed pretty much, right? Yeah, and but the, I mean you still have to do a, a a lot of things. You have to have a basic understanding of how it all works together and, and if you do if, if you put a few extra processes in place you can actually make it just almost totally stress-free and people people want to print i mean we were saying yesterday i, I believe that people at heart are artisans and we want to create we're like you know we, we we used to spend time getting all messed up and smelly in the dark room all that went away and i believe that people do want to actually create a final a final um you know tactile print but they, it's just it's kind of gone away because it was frustrating for a while because the technology wasn't quite where we needed it to be. But now it's there, and I think that the people that you that found it frustrating originally probably don't need to be feeling that way anymore. And if you put the things in place that we, we talk about in Pixels to Pigment, you'll be you'll be flying along. You're, it's 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 not just about printing. It's it's about optimizing the entire digital workflow from literally from pixels to pigment. So, yeah, take a look on the website and see if it, if it looks like something that you'd like to get into. Sign up and, and we can, we can get through, go through that over two full days. And we actually we end up um, selecting images from the group and creating uh, breathing color gallery wraps for, for some people, um, you know, depending on the size of the group. But some people will actually leave with a gallery wrap. One of mine or, or, or three people will take a gallery wrap of their own away as well. So it's a really sort of interactive, fun workshop. Very cool. All right. Well, we'll definitely check that out. Pixels to pigment.com, right? That's where they can go to and check it out. Absolutely. 
All right. So today on the show, uh, the topics that we're going to be going through in just a moment here are Twitter. So the Twitter founders, the founders of Twitter, not Twitter proper, proper, have launched a new service called Medium. So we're going to talk about that a little bit. It's brand new. As we record this, um, it was, I think, just announced today. So we know a little bit about it, um, but not more than most of you will know by the time you listen to this episode. (laughs) So we'll tell you what we know. Also, Canon, we mentioned on previous episodes of This Week in Photo that um, one of the models of Canon's camera had some issues with the grip having too much of a certain chemical in it in processing and giving some people rashes. So we have an update on that. And also, it uh, looks like Yahoo's new CEO, Marissa Meyer, has begun using Flickr, which is a good thing for us. So uh, <laughs> we're going we're gonna to talk about that a little bit. I know a lot of us have something to say about Flickr. Um, and also McAfee, the virus folks, ha- are offering protection for your Facebook images, which I know a lot of folks are concerned about, um, especially if you, you, the business, your business is making images. So that's, a, that's an interesting story for us to review. Plus, we'll have an interview with, with Mr. Ben Wilmore, a Photoshop expert, educator, and um, a guy who lives out of a mobile home. So we're going to talk about that, or we're going to... We're going to listen to that interview in this episode. Um, But before we get started, if you've been listening to the show over the last couple of weeks, you know that This Week in Photo is now partnering with the great folks over at Creative Live. This is basically an effort to bring a wider selection of interviews with photographers onto the show um, and also share some, you know, give them some love by sharing those uh, long form workshops that they have for free basically over at creativelive.com. So the win, it's a win-win for us. It's a win-win for listeners because you, you get the heads up about these workshops and you get a preview of what the speakers of the workshops are going to be talking about for free, obviously on our podcast. And you can go watch the workshops for free over on creative live. And I win because I get to talk to these amazingly talented photographers more so than I get to do now. So it just sort of expands the whole universe of photography and raises the tide for all the ships. So um, the cool thing, if you don't know about Creative Live right now, the cool thing is they set things up so that you can watch every workshop for free, 100% for free. And then if you decide that you want to own that workshop, you can and watch it later, download the files, etc., watch them on your Apple TV or whatever. You can purchase it and then download the videos, and then they're yours. You know, they're, you get the bits. So the next workshops coming up are uh, we've got Lee Varis coming up uh, photographing and retouching skin on August 16th. And there's also um, Ben Wilmore's coming up. He's got two workshops coming up, actually. So definitely head over to creativelive.com to check out when he's doing both of those. I think they're coming up next week as I record this. We're recording this on August 15th. And then finally, Sue Bryce. I'm her new biggest fan. Um, she's got a, a, a actually, a real, she's done a bunch of workshops already. I think two workshops. One workshop with the Creative Live already. She's doing another one or another two workshops coming up that focus on beauty photography of women. So she's going to have a makeup artist with her and she's going to go through the whole process of, you know, doing the makeup all the way through to delivery of the final product to the customer. So really cool stuff. That's going to be a five day event. So definitely check all that out. All those workshops are the, the ones that have been recorded already are on creativelive.com now. So you can go check them out after you listen to this episode or um, you can watch them live. Just go check their schedule. They got a really easy to understand calendar up there. You just look at the ones that you like and make sense for your schedule 
and go put them on your calendar. So definitely check them out. So guys, let's dive into the news. The first story that we're going to talk about is the Twitter founders launching this medium thing that we talked about. So medium. So I got to confess, I've only like looked at this from the, like the surface surface level. And some people are saying it looks like a cross between tweeting, blogging, web design, but they're saying that they're trying to revolutionize how online publishing is done. So Ron Brinkman, I want to, I want to throw this over to you first (laughs) for obvious. I mean, you, you, you are in the middle of this. I mean, you are the author of digital compositing dot, you know, and you run (laughs) digital compost, composting.com. You're that guy. So you yeah, should know something okay. about this. What do you think? I, I, I'm not. I'm not sure I can claim any uh, any credibility in what I'm about to say, but I just kind of scanned <laughs> over some of the the info as well. You know, it, it appears to be a new blogging platform, and we see these things come and go. So the only the, the main thing that you got to note with this one is that it comes from some very uh, strong background, some good pedigree, if you will. Yeah. But I think what it's you know what what they say they're trying to do is sort of meet the needs of a really broad range of people, people that. You know, I have different levels of engagement. Some people that want to do full-on blogging. Some people that want to do very lightweight kind of stuff of just showing pictures. I think they're probably taking a cue a little bit from Pinterest. And anybody that's a photographer has probably become aware of Pinterest just because it is such a sort of quick and easy way to get a nice gallery of photos up and, and has all the social sharing stuff kind of built into it. And, I, I, you know, they, they I mean, I think it's like the number three blogging platform now. Uh, photo sharing platform after Facebook and Twitter in terms of uh, getting people involved in, in traffic. So yeah. I can see that there's a desire to have something new like this. You know, as somebody who puts photos up online and blogs occasionally, it's it's sort of exhausting every time a new one of these things come out. <laughs> like, Thank you. That's a good word. That's a good well, word for I, it. <laughs> I remember when Pinterest came out, and I think we were both talking about it, and we were kind of like, oh, God, there's another one, you know, it's, and... You know, for those people that jumped on it early, they they probably did did well by it. You know, especially commercial photographers who really wanted to get their name out or something. Yeah, because yeah. it blew up. But who knows, right? There's for every one of those that goes huge, like Pinterest did. There's probably been a dozen that went nowhere, and you could spend time figuring out how to use it and posting stuff, and it just disappears into the ether. So how do you, how do you pick the right one, Valerie? Valerie, is do we really need another social media platform? I don't. <laughs> I sure don't. I'm not on Pinterest yet. I have. I don't have time for this. I mean, you'll feel like uh, I'm on a treadmill that's going faster than I'm running here. Uh, yes, it's exhausting, is right. But it it looks kind of fun. I like the theme idea, and I think it's a it's a good way also for people to get some inspiration. And it looks kind of enter- entertaining. I, the themes are like when I was a kid or this happened to me. So kind of curious to know what going to be on there um it 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 looks nice to to browse through uh now if i will i ever put a picture on there probably not i have to catch up with pinterest first and and i I hear there's this cool thing out called facebook i don't know it might be a fad i don't know (laughs) facebook i love facebook uh i'm still struggling with with google plus so uh give me a little bit of time but i'll catch up eventually but wow. it looks interesting, and I think that, and they, I think it will fit certain personalities more than others. You know, I think there's so many different things that fit per- people. Like I'm not on Flickr, but you know, uh, it, I don't. I'm not planning on 
going on Flickr, but uh, like I think, a fi- is it 500 picks? Mm-hmm. 500 picks, yeah, PX. I'm not on there either, but that would probably be more my choice. So I think it's good to have a little bit of everything because, you know, people have different tastes. So Yeah, yeah there's so many choices out there for, for photo sharing platforms and... And this whole universe of social media seems like yeah. it, it's like it's like cell division. It just divides every like three months or so. <laughs> we have more that we have to deal with. It's overwhelming. Yeah, Martin. Martin, uh, what about you? Are you uh, getting ready to jump into Medium? I'm, I've just literally as as I opened the show notes this morning and saw that this had been added. I I jumped in quickly, had a look. You're able to sign in with your Twitter account at the moment. Um, but it says that the, there's, there's a page that comes up once you're in there. Welcome to Medium. I've had a quick read through it. It looks interesting, and I'm, I'm certainly going to be keeping an eye on it. Uh, but it says at the bottom, as of today, everyone with a Twitter account can read and give feedback on Medium. Posting is limited to a small invited list of friends and family, mm. which will be expanding rapidly soon to those that have registered. So if you're interested, please do so. So you've got to then go and register. So I, I think it's... It's going to take a while unless you really want to try and jump in on this and, and actually register and try and get in early. Then it's, it's probably going to take a while for this to get into the mainstream. But it's going to be interesting to see how it goes. But, you know, for me, honestly, I, I think that, you know, even Twitter at the moment, I've got Twitter, Facebook and Google+. Plus. I created a Pinterest account and I've posted like three things. Um, and I... I'm not really interested in Pinterest at the moment, um, but I think spreading yourself too thinly is is pretty dangerous. If you want to build a following on any of these platforms, you have to dedicate uh, the majority of your social media time to that. And if you want to make a living other, outside of social media, you need to actually go and do other work as well. So, you know, I, I think that for me, the majority of my time is put into Google Plus at the moment. And I probably, unless this really sort of, when I see more about it, it really looks like it's going to be an amazing platform. I don't think it's going to pull my attention away from Google+. Um, and then after that, really, I mean, it's, I, I put probably 80% of my social media time into Google+, 10 into Twitter, and 10 into Flickr. Um, and that's pretty much my, my balance at the moment. And yeah. I, I, don't, I don't think I need to, to change that just yet. It's interesting, though. I mean, what I want to see is... You know, folks like like uh, Trey Ratcliffe and Thomas Hawk on Google Plus took to the platform early on and exploded on those platforms through, you know, they're they're savvy on social media, very savvy on social media, obviously. So I don't want to just diminish from that, but they were early on on those platforms and grew gigantic audiences. So yeah, like yeah, Ron but- was saying, is it is this a chance for someone to repeat the Trey or Thomas? success on a new platform and be the new person over there you know but what one thing you need to keep in mind though is that um and i'm not saying this both trey and thomas hawk do great things and they and they put a lot of time into those platforms but the reason that they blew up so much was because they were put into the featured list mm. and everyone that gets put into the featured list ends ends up with a million and a half two million three million followers relatively quickly Oh, I thought um, it was just that I was, you know, unloved. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, how do you get on that list? <laughs> yeah, well, how do you get, we need well, a book on well, that, how to be featured. That's, you know? <laughs> that's part of it because you have to put the work in. You have to be really dedicated to it and do the work that both of those guys did to get onto that list. So it, I'm certainly not trying to say that they, you know, that I'm not trying to disparage them in any way. They, they do a great job there. 
But the, it's not because one, one, you know, three, two, three million people have said, oh, I really want to follow this person because he's really cool. It's, a lot of it is because they're in the list that people go along and say, okay, who do I follow? They find the interesting, um, whatever, I forget the name of the, the group. They go in there, they see the photography list, say, oh, great. And they just hit follow all. Mm-hmm. And that automatically gives them, you know, extra. They're probably getting, you know. Well, I mean, of- they also, they, when you sign up for Twitter as a brand new user or Google Plus, whatever, when you sign up for one of these networks as a brand new user, they suggest too, right? They say, hey, here's some cool people you should be following. I want right. to be in there, you know. <laughs> but then, you know, that's a good point, though. I mean, as I think through it, I don't know if I want to be in there because I don't, I don't want hollow calories. Was what I call them, call them following me. You know, I don't want people that aren't interested in what I have to say just following me for the sake of following me. I would rather have people that are interested in photography and geeky stuff that I tend to tweet about from time to time follow me rather than just a million people that are interested in other stuff. Yeah, but that, I mean, I, I think certainly. Trey has got you know a very dedicated following out of that. right. Sure, well, his, numbers, but his audience comes be... from other places too. I don't think it's just Google Plus. Trey's prolific yeah. in all these other places, so I exactly. think they're just following over there. I, I think I think it's a little different uh, for Google Plus, which where it really is sort of a, a place where you can show off photography versus something like Twitter, where yes, there's that initial burst if you get featured of people that probably are just noise followers. It feels like Google Plus is a little bit more. Uh, likely to be real, real people following. Yeah. Uh, it is. I mean, those, those, like I said, I'm not just trying to disparage those guys in any way. They do, well, they no, do it, a great it, job. And, but they, they really, though, I mean, if you've got that number of followers, even if a lot of them are hollow, they're, they're, you're going to get a lot more traction in what you do. Uh, and, I mean, and, it's, yeah, uh, and, and it's a very valid point that at some point, you know, people that are already known tend to get known again on the new networks. And, and I will actually say that yeah. this is part of what the, these guys at Medium are claiming is different, is that they want it to be a little bit more uh, in the tone of what a place like Reddit does, where people can promote stuff, but it really has to get kind of bubble up to the top. And, and I mean, they explicitly say in their what's it all about kind of thing that it's intended to be more about the the quality of the work and the image itself that will bubble it to the the top of the stack as opposed to the person that posted it so mm-hmm. if that's the case you know i think that's that's actually pretty awesome because it means that yeah. really I good images so should bubble up to the top you yeah. know you know one thing at the bottom of this page i see a button that says this is good and i guess this is the medium version of liking something on facebook or right. plus one in they they want to work on that phrase <laughs> it's like this is good okay <laughs> good. right i kind of like it yeah. I, I, I think, well, I mean, you know, hey, hey, we it's we have to watch it. I mean, like we were saying, it just yeah. came out today, so you know, it's definitely something to watch and keep our eye on. Um, I'm going to dive in and and do some research on it and try to hopefully get on the list and see if I can poke around in there. It'd be interesting, very interesting how this stuff is evolving. But you know, it's, it's funny, like Valerie, you and I are saying. I mean, it's like all this stuff. How do you? How do you? <laughs> How do you keep up with all these different networks, the Facebook messages, the invites over there, the invites from Google Plus, the stream on Google Plus, and then Twitter messages and mentions, and now Pinterest, and now we have Medium. Like This is a full-time job. Yeah. I know. As Martin was saying, I mean, it just sucks your time, and when do you get out and shoot, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and uh, it, it, I think you have to be so 
disciplined, you know, to spend so much time on your social media every day and get out. And because, uh, yeah. yeah, it can be so time consuming. You almost have to be like a forced Luddite, you know, like <laughs> you have to force yourself to just say, you know what, I'm not going to look. I'm going to focus only on these three things and put blinders on to everything else. If it's great, um, you know, OK, I missed out. But at some point you have to draw the line and say, like Martin was saying, carve out a certain amount of time a day that you're going to devote to these networks yeah. or they, they're bottomless pits. Each one of them in and of itself can suck you in infinitely and take all your time. Yeah. So Crazy. All right, so we'll we'll keep tabs on medium. Um, hopefully, it'll turn out to be a happy medium. I had to get that in there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, but we'll see. Very boom boom. <laughs> I need we need the guy with a rim shot in the corner. <laughs> um, so we'll talk about that a little bit more as it as it evolves. Um, okay, so the next thing that I wanted to talk about is uh, we talked about this on this week in photo a while back, and the Canon um, T four I DSLR. They have issued it. Well, basically, the story that we talked about was there was a, a it, the due to some them having too much what they call rubber accelerator in the handle or the the, the handle where your hand touches this camera, um, it was causing some people to report a rash. Right? I um, knew I shouldn't have been keeping my camera down my pants. <laughs> <laughs> Ron, I might, there might be something else. Anyway, so, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> you might want to go see somebody about that. Uh, penicillin is your friend. Anyway, so the so basically they issued a recall now for sixty eight thousand of the T four I's, saying that they want to comply with the U S Consumer Product Safety Commission, um, and they're issuing a voluntary recall. And this, and I want to make sure we get this in there, despite the fact that it has only received a single report of a minor rash. So for one, I, this is a Crazy. this is amazing. So one guy said, "Hey, I like Ron. Hey, I was carrying that T4I uh, in my jockstrap for four days, and I got a rash. So they're gonna pull back sixty eight thousand <laughs> of them because Ron said that. I mean, yes. So it, is this the right thing? Is this? I mean, this doesn't seem right to me. It just seems. It seems no. like really. Come on, you got more than one complaint, or else you would not be reacting. That's a lot of money. Uh, you know, one one would hope. That it's not just a knee-jerk reaction to a single complaint, but that somebody at Canon did a little research into what was going on, checked the chemical composition of the issue here, and said, okay, this is sort of a known irritant, and it probably will happen to other people. It's maybe early days, and made the decision based on that as opposed to a complete knee-jerk kind of thing. But it's tough for these big companies. They've got to be in front of this stuff just because it can easily snowball into... You know, really bad scenarios. Yeah. Uh, you know, in a matter of days. So, I don't know. I can understand them needing to do it. Yeah, but it's know. a voluntary recall. So, if you don't have a problem with the chemical, then you yeah. don't have to send your camera in. So, right, right, exactly. But how do you know? They should issue like like CSI kits or something with little eyedropper chemical reactants that you can just drop it on your camera, <laughs> and if it turns I- green. Turn your camera in. If it turns blue, then you're okay. <laughs> you know? I, I think it's probably, you know, what, what's the name? You know, when you hear recall, you sort of get this picture of everybody having to go take their cameras in for replacement. But realistically, it's probably very self-limiting in that most people are like, this is fine. I have no issues, and I don't want to be without my camera for right. the three weeks it takes to do it. So 
Yeah. I'm not going to worry about it. So I'm I sure doubt they've it. Done the math. Yeah, they've done the math. 68,000, so 0.05% of that 68,000 may even consider sending it in, and then we'll make the hoops really big for those people <laughs> to send it in. <laughs> you, know, you know what, though, guys? They, I think they, this could also, though, because it's different. Like with the 5D Mark III, we had the thing where they, there was light leaking in from the top LC, LCD um, area. That that doesn't affect health. And this, if it actually does give people a rash, then it's it it's slightly different in that, you know, if someone gets a rash, it could develop into something more serious. And right. they, it's like they, there was a, a company over here in Japan, you know, Canon's a, J- a Japanese company. They're probably very sensitive to this sort of thing. But there was a company here a few years ago that released a very popular soap. It was literally just, it was called Channel Shizuku. It's like, means basically drop of tea. It's like this green soap. But in the soap, it had um, flour, you know, the, like the, the stuff that you make bread with. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was, I think, I'm looking at the, some numbers at the moment. There was like four and a half million people bought the soap. And out of those 471, which is like, what, one in 10,000 or so. Um, and, and don't quote me on that, my math is terrible. Uh, but it's like, they're, so 471 people actually developed um, a a similarly a rash or or an allergy, but then out of those sixty six people actually came down with a with a really serious allergy and it's kind of ruining their lives. They they've developed literally an, an allergy to flour. Oh, and if you're allergic geez. if you're allergic to flour, then you've you've got problems in most societies. So it's like the the Canon are probably looking at these numbers and how I mean this company, I don't know how how they've survived this, but they got a, a lot of bad publicity. And so far, I haven't even heard about this, uh, the, the T4i being recalled here in Japan. But if, if they start to get the same sort of publicity, it's not going to be good for Canon. So I imagine that's why they're being proactive and really trying to say, OK, well, we're going to do right by you because, you know, we don't want you getting rashes. And if that develops into something more serious, we're in big trouble. So it, I think it... Yeah, they're probably right to be, to be overly cautious about this. But I, I'm sure, I mean... If someone did stick it down their pants and end up with a rash, then it's... Uh, <laughs> yeah. And obviously, I, I, I'm assuming that there's that the rash was on their hands, so... Yeah, um. maybe, maybe they're just blaming it. They're, yeah, that one guy could be trying to blame it on Cannon to avoid getting in trouble with his wife or something. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the story could go in so many different directions. <laughs> Honey, it was the camera. I'm not cheating on you. <laughs> <laughs> it's like that joke where some guy came back from outer Mongolia with a very serious disease to what Ron has, and um, and he went around lots. Of, he went around lots of different. He went around lots of different doctors, and they all told him it was incurable. And he finally found a doctor from outer Mongolia, uh, Mongolia, and went in, and he said, "Don't worry, you don't. It's it's not incurable. It'll drop off on its own." Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And on right. that note, <laughs> so somehow, see, if I had said that, that would have had, that would be much more crass than when you say it, Martin, with your accent. I don't know. You, That's right. <laughs> I don't know. Something about your accent that makes it okay. Um, all right. So this next story that we're going to talk about is Yahoo. Uh, Yahoo's new CEO, Marissa Meyer. Um, so we had this story in the show notes, um, and it said that Yahoo's new CEO, Marissa Meyer, cre- reportedly, keywords reportedly, creates a Flickr account and doubled efforts to improve the service. Uh, one of our crack reporters, Ron Brinkman, found out 
that it wasn't her actually. Um, and this is via TechCrunch. So, Ron, what what did you find? I haven't. I know you put this in the show notes as we were going through the show. What did, what did the TechCrunch article well, say? So, so the original story said uh, that you know Marissa Meyer actually has created a Flickr account, and apparently this is news because the last two presidents of uh, Yahoo didn't even bother to do that. And there was probably a lot of hope saying, okay, good, she's actually going to engage and, and do this. And and then I guess they just somebody just realized that it wasn't actually her. It was a bogus account or something like that. But So I don't think that's a real story. I think the real story is that there does seem to be, number one, a lot of people that would like to see both Yahoo generally and Flickr in particular kind of have a bit of a rebirth here. Uh, and, and there does seem to be activity on on the Flickr side of things, allegedly they've already hired a number of people. There's some reorgs going on. Uh, they're looking for a product manager, which I think you can actually apply on the website if you're interested. Um, you know, so, th- so there's, I-, I think for, for photographers, for us, it's sort of, I think there is this desire for Flickr to rise from the ashes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm, I'm a big fan of Flickr. I mean, I mean, we, we give them grief on the show, but it's out of love. It's, t- it's tough love <laughs> because Flickr had so much promise. And I, I use the word had, you know, reluctantly because I'm sure they do still have so much promise and I still have a, fl- a fl- Flickr pro account and I'm going to keep it. Um, and uh, Flickr was the go-to service for putting your images out there, but this whole free competition thing, allowed services like 500 picks and smug mug and all these other guys to innovate and and give us what we want and while Flickr was still not doing that so yeah. i'm looking and, forward know, to seeing I mean, maybe more, they do more something more power more power to these guys like the 500 picks and everybody that clearly they they come from the background of liking photography right they yeah. they have a passion for imagery and making it and i think what that's what the original Flickr was too and then as often happens with these corporate sort of subunits uh, it turned into the suck because there was you know there wasn't the passion anymore and it was just it was corporate speak happening on there and so you know if they do manage to resurrect it it feels to me like the only way this is going to happen is if they get people on board that really are into photography and in all aspects of it you know making pretty pictures but also sharing with friends and sharing with family and telling stories and everything that kind of goes with making you know what you do with photography and so i'm i'm hopeful too i still use Flickr as well it's still sort of my main repository for any photos i put up in public i tend now to even if i post something to google plus i still just point people over to my Flickr account most of the time and most of that's inertia i'll admit i've looked at 500 px and and contemplated trying to transition everything over and it's just i, I can't be bothered i guess but yeah, yeah. I, I don't know all right. Well, we're going to we're going to move right along. And before we do that, I want to give a nod to our sponsor. This episode of This Week in Photo is brought to you by Squarespace.com. They're the fast and easy way to create a high quality website or blog. And FYI, Squarespace has launched a new content management system. It's called ironically enough, the new Squarespace. So basically from a technical perspective, um, it's a whole new code base. And if you're geeky enough to know what a code base is, it just means they rewrote everything. So it uses the latest technologies, HTML5, CSS3, JavaScript, all that stuff. As if you need to know about that to use a service, you don't because it's all abstracted beneath the UI that they use to make it an easy to use service. 
So from a user perspective, one of the cool things that the new Squarespace gives you is what they call the best mobile experience. So it features new templates with mobile-ready responsive designs, which means your site automatically restructures itself to whatever device is looking at it. So gone are the days of, okay, if somebody looks at my site, you know, my site is designed for an, an iMac running at this or an Android tablet running at this, you know, because your audience, you've done a survey and you found out that your audience mostly uses that device. So you design your site for that. Those days are gone. Now these new responsive designs means that when your site, when someone looks at your site, it says, oh, hey, an Android tablet is looking at me and it gives them the right look and feel for that device. Same thing with an iPhone, same thing with an iPad, same thing with a with a regular desktop computer or laptop. So you design once and deploy everywhere. So even images are automatically saved in seven different sizes to accommodate viewing, editing, and updating on um, any sized mobile device. So Squarespace says the new Squarespace is faster and easier. Everything is now drag and drop. They've got this new page builder tool called Layout Engine, which allows you to customize your pages in seconds by adding blocks of content like photo, like a photo block, a video block, a text block, social media content, all that stuff. And it's real time. It shows up as you go. So you can design this thing as you're building. And it makes it just, you know, basically easy for techs, people that are technical like Ron Brinkman and everybody else to build a site. So, and the last thing I want to talk about, I mean, there's a ton of stuff in there. You have to go to Squarespace.com, check it out. But the last thing I want to talk about is the social media integration because we're talking about social media on the show. So they allow you to automatically import, sync, and publish from and to social media networks, you know, like Facebook and Twitter and all those guys, Google+, Plus, etc., with a, just a couple of clicks. So on some other platforms, there's a little, a bunch of hoops that you have to jump through in order to get integrated with those sites on Squarespace, drag and drop. So definitely check it out. So if you want to get a free trial of Squarespace, just go over to squarespace.com slash twip. You can sign up for a free account. You don't need a credit card. Just try it out, build your website, get it going. And if you decide that you love that website and you want to keep it going, you can use the offer code twip eight. That's T-W-I-P-8, and you'll get 10% off your first purchase. This is for new accounts, and this includes monthly and annual plans. And also don't forget about the free domain registration that they're offering with annual plan subscriptions. Once again, that's twip or that's squarespace.com slash twip and use the offer code twip8. So that's, um, you know, definitely check that out if you are getting ready to build your website presence. Okay, moving forward in the show, um, I had a chance a couple of days ago to, actually yesterday as we record this, to speak with Mr. Ben Wilmore. Um, I have a number of Ben's books on my bookshelf that I'm looking at right now. And Ben is, a, I, would, I would use the word pro- prolific when it comes to being an expert about Photoshop and just that genre of photography, you know, taking pictures, bringing them into Photoshop and doing cool things with them. He literally wrote several books on the topic. So in this interview, we talk about why he's not going to be doing that anymore. He's not going to be writing. He doesn't want to write any more physical books. We're going to talk about why. And we're also going to talk about why he decides that he wants to live on four wheels instead of in a proper house. So give this interview a listen. All right, I'm here with Mr. Ben Wilmore. He's a he's a photographer and an educator. He's also 
a really expert guy in Photoshop. He's been teaching Photoshop for over 20 years. He's, if you Google or go on Amazon and search for his name, you'll find a number of titles that are on Photoshop and all things sort of digital media. We're going to talk about that and his move into sort of ebooks and digital distribution and a whole bunch of other things. So, Mr. Wilmore, Ben, welcome to This Week in Photo. Hey, great to be here. It's good to have you. And we were, we were talking before I clicked the record button that uh, you and I, uh, we were both at the, the Palm Springs Photo Festival and we were chatting in the lobby. And I remember you mentioning that you live in a tour bus. You, so don't let, first of all, before we jump into the interview, I want to talk about that a little bit. So tell me about the tour bus and, and why do you live in a tour bus? Well, I used to live in Colorado up in the mountains. And that was great. But you always go out, if you were going to go shooting, you see the same general things. And being someone that likes shooting landscapes for one subject matter, I just found I was always seeing a similar look and had all these dreams of going to all sorts of different locations. And once I went on vacation and I did eight national parks in 10 days. Eight eight parks in 10 days. Oh, yeah. Uh, Colorado, Utah kind of area, and uh, absolutely loved it and just thought, when can I do that again? And the answer was not soon. (laughs) And uh, then I was sick of things like having a mortgage and maintaining um, a yard and everything else. (laughs) And so I decided to buy a tour bus, sell all my stuff. And now we travel to between 12 and 30 states a year and just search out whatever it is we think would be interesting to shoot. And it's been a, a great time. It's been this is my seventh year now. Now, so now you speak as well. Like I mentioned, we were at the Palm Springs Photo Festival. So you drove the tour bus to Palm Springs and you just parked somewhere. So no hotel fees, none of that stuff. Your house, you're a turtle. So your house is with you wherever you go, right? Well, when I speak at events, most of them I fly to because I don't want to drive way across the country to get to an event and be stuck there unless there's something I really want to shoot there. So I would say 80 to 90% of the events I speak at, I happen to fly to them. Uh, but on occasion, if there happens to be an event near where I'm, I'm going to be, uh, then I'll drive to it. So here I have an event coming up in Seattle next week, and I wanted to explore Washington and Oregon during July and August because that's when it's not raining like crazy here. And so I happen to be up here in the bus. But otherwise, it would have flown. Wow, wow. So what's, what's the best thing about living, the, the photographer living with his, you know, everything you have with you? What's the best thing and what's the worst thing? Well, there's a couple best things. The one is just imagine being able to take a map of the U.S. And whenever you hear of something that sounds interesting visually, you can put a little point on the map to say, I'd like to go there one day, and then actually be able to do that without having to take out vacation time or without having to be on assignment or without having the pressure of having to make money off of that shot to pay for that trip. Instead, it's just like going to the grocery store. It's just, who cares? You're there. So that's part of it. The other part is when you do that, imagine sleeping in your own bed instead of an uncomfortable or, or just unusual bed at a hotel or somewhere else. Yeah, yeah. Or park your house right across the street from whatever it is you want to shoot, pop in, take a nap, and then come out and shoot. I've been at places where I've shot it for 24 hours or three days or whatever, and I'm just walking in and out of the bus to shoot it. And it's 
much different than having to have a rental car and having to drive to wherever a hotel is, which isn't always at a convenient location. Yeah, that's great. So what's the, what's the worst thing? What, what, do you, what do you just absolutely hate about living mobily? Well, the biggest challenge of living mobily is internet access. Mm, right. If you're used to being in a home where you have really fast internet, not going to have it overly fast, and there's usually going to be a bandwidth cap where if you go above it, you pay a lot more money. And so if you're used to watching, like downloading a lot of videos to watch or a lot of streaming video, it can get where you get over your bandwidth cap and it starts getting expensive. And in some locations, you might have extremely slow internet because you're in the middle of nowhere and I'm relying on like a Verizon card. And so that can be an issue. But yeah. now... Verizon is massively expanding their 4G network. Uh, I mean, crazily expanding it. And uh, that's something we want to upgrade to and really take advantage of. So with that, if anybody's into it, look into a company called Millenicom because they sell um, Verizon minutes, but you have no contract. You have at least four times the bandwidth for the same price and all that kind of stuff. So that's one little all right, I'll check them out. Malinicom. We'll put that in the in the notes for this episode. So that that's uh that's cool. I mean, there's we could we could go on and on about that adventure, but there's there's all kinds of stuff I want to talk to you because I know you have uh you got to get out of here. So let's uh let's just talk about um light painting. So I know that's one of your passions, light painting and HDR and that sort of thing. So I've seen. You know, I so first of all, for the folks that may not know what light painting is, can you give us give us just the layman's definition of what it is to paint with light? Sure. Well, imagine finding a scene that is real is completely dark. You know, it's it's midnight outside, and you find something, or you're in your basement, no lights on. So, if you set up your camera and did a thirty second exposure, you, what comes out is black, mm-hmm. and so then. You do a long exposure, let's say it's 30 seconds, and you can walk right into the scene, even in, in the camera's view, and with a flashlight, light the scene. And therefore, you can control exactly how bright every area is. And if you're shooting, let's say, a person and you want the attention to be drawn to their face, just spend a little bit more time adding light there, and it'll be brighter. People's eyes will be attracted to it. If you've got an ugly background that just doesn't really help the scene, don't light it at all, and it'll be solid black. And it's just, to me, one of the most creative outlets uh, with my photography uh, that I've run into. So how do you how do you gauge that? So I mean, like, like say you you're you're lighting a scene, you know, like you said, you 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 frame the thing up. Say you're doing an interior shot of say a really nice gourmet kitchen. You, all the lights are off. You set the camera up on a tripod. You aim it at the kitchen, and you want to paint in the hanging pots from the ceiling you want to get the oven you want to get you know put a light in the stove and all that stuff how do you know how long to paint them for is it just is it just trial and error or there's some some math or technique to it well it's quick trial and error meaning you do a a test exposure and you go and light the pots very briefly just for a couple seconds and then you go back and look at the camera and see if that's blown out to solid white or if it's too dark and you either adjust your aperture setting or you adjust your ISO setting to brighten or darken the, re- the result and you take another shot. And after doing about three test shots, you get a pretty good handle for exactly how bright it is. It's going to vary a lot based on how new are the batteries in your, in your flashlight, what kind of flashlight, and how close you're holding the flashlight to the subject. 
Yeah. And do you do you need to be dressed in black? I would imagine you probably don't want to be in all white. So the light reflecting off of whatever you're painting gets on you and you appear in the shot. So are you in you wear like a ninja suit when you're in there? How does that work? Most of the time, there's no need for it. But if I was shooting something like a motorcycle that had a lot of chrome or something else where the light might reflect off, then I might need to think about it. But most of the time, the light source is being held at arm's length away from my body, and it's never pointing towards me. And it makes it so unless the thing that I'm shooting is chrome or stainless steel or something else where it's like a mirror reflecting it back, uh, most of the time I I don't have to worry about it. Uh, But on those occasions where I have... uh, reflective subject matter uh then i might have to think about uh wearing black and i have done it where i wear a black long sleeve shirt and black gloves uh but that's rare yeah and then what about what about gear i mean i'm sure you could use pretty much any flashlight but power varies with those flashlights and then there's the ones with the bulbs and then leds what what advice would you give to photographers that are looking to try this so they go to home depot and buy what I would stay away from the flashlights you get for free at trade shows, you know, with somebody's logo on it. Usually they have like six or eight bulbs in it, and they always put out soft light, and it's harder to get control over what you're doing because you can't get just a a harder uh, spot where the light hits. A single bulb uh, light is a nice way to start. LED lights will be a little cooler, but you can adjust for that with uh, white balance. And my absolute favorite flashlights are by uh, LED Lenser because you can focus them uh, more effectively than most as far as controlling how big the beam is. And if you press the button lightly a second time, you go to a tenth of the power. I think it's a tenth. And it makes it so if you're lighting from far away to begin with, you can use full power. And then if you have to come up real close for something, you can pop it down to the lower power level and uh, not get too much light on it when you're lighting close but those are expensive flashlights yeah yeah but if you're going to get into this it, it you know invest in your gear right yeah well i'd say i'd use that one flashlight probably about 80 to 90 percent of the time so if you're going to do a lot of it it makes sense if you're just going to casually do it use any flashlight that's cool so so speaking of casually doing it so if I want to try this tonight, I want to set up my, my tripod and get all this stuff. So I have a, I have a reasonable DSLR that I can use. So what, are, what settings am I using? Am I putting it on bulb or, or what am I doing? Well, if you're not used to doing it, I would just start off with a 30-second exposure. Uh, because with bulb mode, you have to be able to both open and close the shutter and you probably need a cable release then that locks. You might or might not have that. But if you just do a 30-second exposure... Put your camera on a solid surface. Tripod would be great, but you can put it on a table or anything. And I usually start at F11, ISO 100. Just you got to start somewhere. And you'll want to focus when you're pointing the flashlight at the subject and then click your lens over to manual focus. Otherwise, when you press the shutter, it won't do anything because it'll be searching for focus. And when it can't find it, it won't take the picture. Right. Then just... Start your exposure, walk into the scene, and make sure your body is not blocking the camera's view of whatever area you're lighting. So stand off to the side a little bit, at least at an angle, you know, so your your body is not between the camera and the area you're lighting. And light something. Move it around a little bit. Just act like you have a, a hose with some water in it, and you're just trying to wet down your subject. And then go back to the camera. See if it's too bright or too dark. If it's too bright, close down your aperture. If it's not bright enough, up your ISO setting. 
and experiment about three shots until you get the brightness right, and then uh, experiment. If you want to really get started, I have an ebook on the subject, and you can find out about it on my website, but there's a free sample chapter. And the sample chapter tries to get you started with your first light painting. And so that's where I would go to just get a general feeling for what you should do to get started. And where where's that ebook at? Uh, my website is digitalmastery.com. And if you go there, it should just be on the homepage. You'll see an area that talks about the light painting ebook. And if you click on it so you get to the page for the ebook, you will find a uh, area I'm looking right now. It's near the bottom of the page. It says download sample pages of the ebook. And if you click that, you'll get a PDF that tries to just give you enough to get you started on your first light painting. Nice. Very cool. I love that. So then switching gears from light painting into one of your other passions, and that's high dynamic range photography or HDR. So I'm getting the feel here that you like playing with light. You like, uh, you know, just manipulating light and seeing what you can do with it inside the camera, you know, and doing using both sides of the equation in the computer and in the lens. So tell me about HDR and what you like about that so much. Well, in general, with photography in general, I find that if your audience is non-photographers, that's who's looking at your work, to give them something to really suck them in, it's usually presenting something they're not used to seeing. And that's why, partially why people are out shooting sunrise and sunset. Because if you go to a national park and you shoot sunrise, there might be a dozen people where you're shooting, but you leave at 10, 10 a.m. and the droves of people are coming in and they completely miss that. They're leaving before sunset so they can go to dinner. They completely miss that and they see it when the light just sucks. And so doing that or, or getting away from shooting at eye level, shooting at a radical angle or something presents them with something they're not used to seeing. For me, light painting and HDR is just another method for doing that creating something that they can't see with their normal eyes and therefore they might be more interested in compared to the photos they're making with their iPhone or anything else. Yeah. Yeah. So then are you, so when, are you mixing these techniques at all? Cause I'm, as I think through this, I'm like, what if you put the peanut butter in the chocolate? Like what if, what if you mixed uh, light painting with HDR? Is that, have you ever done anything like that? Well, the problem with doing that is that, HDR requires you to take more than one exposure, and if you're doing light painting, it's not going to get the same streak of light that you paint onto the image in more than one exposure. Yeah. Uh, so you, I haven't thought about combining those together, but I have thought about other things. Like uh, I was just out the other day shooting with a lens baby. A lens baby can give me all this selective focus, you know, which is great. So then my brain says, why not do lens baby light paint? And I haven't done that yet, but that's probably the next light paint I'll do because I just like mixing it up and trying to push my photography to create things that people aren't used to seeing. So those people that are used to seeing light painting, I doubt they're used to seeing selective focus light painting. I you know, love that. that. I love that. I love the mixing of the because it's all the same, right? I mean, it's all you're you're playing with photons, right? You're just finding new and inventive ways to get those photons on the sensor. I love that. Um, so you mentioned uh, you mentioned your ebook, which, by the way, again you can find at digitalmastery.com, the light painting ebook. Um, so let's talk about books in general. So we, you know, we were looking at Amazon and we, before we started, and I was looking at this long list of Ben Wilmore books that you you've written, and you were telling me that you were you were making the move gradually away from writing static 
traditional printed ebook or printed books and moving more into the ebook realm. Let's, you want to talk about that a little bit and why why you are you see a need for that? Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, I've published many, or not, I haven't published, I've written many, many books on Photoshop, and I find the process of writing a printed book to be overly time-consuming from the time you start the process to the time the, the first reader gets the book, and that the financial equation with that is not always in the author's favor. Uh, so you do a tremendous amount of work to make a lot of money for someone else, uh, and some publishers will do a great job with marketing. Others won't do that much. And if they're not doing that much, then you're doing most of the work. Uh, that's not always true, though. Sometimes they do great marketing, and they can really help the book be a success. But the main thing is with a printed book, you have to finish every chapter, and then that needs to be edited, laid out, printed, distributed before anybody can look at it. With an ebook. You don't have to have 700 pages. You can do an ebook like my light painting ones, 94 pages long. That would be a little bitty printed book. It wouldn't do well in Barnes and Noble because it would look more like a little pamphlet. It looks smaller than a magazine kind of thing. But with an ebook, it's something where we can keep the price down really low, and that can be a very nice focused book for you. Then you can keep writing more and more of those and just release them as you're done, and you can be much more. Uh, productive without having to take out so much time to write a full printed book. Yeah. Yeah. And, and not to mention the multimedia aspects of it, right? Cause like audio and video and, and to some degree, some interactivity, if you're doing, if you're doing, I guess an iBook through Apple, is that what you're considering doing as you move into this space? Uh, yeah, in general I am right now. My first ebook is uh, just a PDF. Uh, and I just want to try it to see how does it sell and I have two more ebooks that I'm in the works on. I can't really mention them yet uh, until I'm close enough to being done. Otherwise, people start asking like crazy about them. Yeah. And once I get those three out and see how they do, then I'm going to see how much more time do I want to invest in them. Ideally, though, I would like to have movies embedded within the ebook. I would like to have it right next to whatever technique you're talking about. You could click on something and it might open the picture I was working on within Photoshop. So you could practice on that image and just have a much more interactive experience. Yeah. I haven't done that yet. I'm just got to start somewhere. So I'm starting out with a PDF. Nice. Nice. Okay, cool. And so you'll, you'll let me know when you get that thing out so we can, we can talk about it. I'm excited to see that. And I, I love the whole idea of, using the internet because it's like the the tide of digital distribution keeps rising and rising with like the the tablets and the iphones and android tablets and 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 you know all this stuff getting more and more prevalent which means people have the means to to read these things back when pdfs were just pdfs were just getting started and ebooks started taking hold it was download the pdf and you can read it but you got to be in front of your computer to read it and now that has changed significantly i can throw an ebook on my uh on my my ipad and read it wherever i am so yeah i'm looking forward to seeing what you do with that 
Oh, yeah. I'm really looking forward to exploring that area. And it'll just take some time to get used to the technology and to fully implement it. Yeah. So then let's let's talk about, speaking of technology, let's talk about Creative Live, which is, uh, you know, a workshop. You have a workshop coming up on August. It's this month. We're in August right now, August 22nd, and it's called Photoshop for Photographers. Tell me about that. What, it, what, what is Photoshop for Photographers? Okay. Well, this is my first event with Creative Live, and I... Th- Looking at their catalog of of classes, I just thought, where would I, might I fit best in there as a first class? And I thought, why not do it where I cover Photoshop, but from a photographer's angle where I, I completely ignore all the stuff photographers wouldn't be interested in so I can really show the absolute essentials, what I use every single day on every single image I open and spend three full days doing that. Wow. What's that, nice? Go ahead. The main thing with the Creative Live, though, instead of just recording that as, let's say, a DVD like it might for other people, the having the live aspect where the class is actually free when it's live. Anywhere in the world, you can tune in and see it live. But it's not just that you can see it. You can also interact with it. There will be a small audience there that will ask questions, and then anybody that's watching it online, they can uh, ask questions and just put out comments and then there'll be people there monitoring those comments. They'll pick out what they think are the most interesting ones and throw them up to me. So you can kind of somewhat uh, control where I deviate, how deep I get in different areas by throwing out some questions there, and it will change the flow of the class. And so I'm looking forward to that part of it. So throw me a couple of tips out. So. You know, I was a I'm a I'm a late bloomer, so I I just downloaded and and installed CS6, Photoshop CS6, and I'm happy with it so far. You know, and the reason that I've delayed, I was on CS4 before, so I skipped five entirely. So I was on CS4, and I decided, you know, after interviewing Brian O'Neill Hughes over on the Adobe team on the Photoshop team, I was like, okay, I got to get this. So I downloaded it and been playing with it, and I'm happy with it. But from your standpoint, you know, I'm going to the source, the guru of photography here. What are the main things inside of CS6 that I need to pay attention to? Well, the main thing, especially if you're coming from two versions old, are the improvements in camera raw. Hmm. It's dramatic. In previous versions of Photoshop, if you moved up, there were three sliders within camera raw that could really mess up your images, but they were sliders that you also really liked what they were trying to do. And those were the recovery, fill light, and clarity sliders. Those sliders, people love what they did. And if you look at the image when you're zoomed out, it looks great. But if you move them beyond about the halfway point and then you zoomed up on your image 100% view and truly inspected it, especially with fill light, you'd find that if you saw a dark area that touched a really bright area, there'd be a double line there. It would look like somebody traced the edge with a pen. Mm. Okay. I'm, a, I'm afraid now. I don't want to go back and look at my, <laughs> my images. So then what about the parity between Lightroom and, and CS6 with the raw processing engine? Because I'm, I'm up to speed on Lightroom, you know, because that's one of the main reasons why I hadn't upgraded was because I figured I'd do most of, the, my, most of my work in Lightroom and heavy lifting and, you know, manipulations, removing telephone poles and that sort of thing using Photoshop. Is the, the, the raw processing engine has parity right 
Yes, it's the same math behind the scenes uh, between Camera Raw and Lightroom. The sliders are named the same. They do the exact same thing. So if you've been using Lightroom, then um, that's great. And I agree with the way you think as far as do as much as you can in Lightroom. And hopefully in a lot of images, that's all you need. And then go to Photoshop only when you need something Lightroom can't do. But what that means is also with Lightroom, if you used it, not with the newest version, but one version old or older, and you brought up recovery, fill light, or clarity beyond the halfway point, it didn't guarantee you're going to have issues with your image, but there was a good chance that if you zoomed up to 100% view and really inspected it, you would notice that where a dark area touches a bright one, there'd be a double edge or you can have glowing edges around things, and that doesn't happen with the new version. And it makes it so you can push the sliders much further than previously uh, advised and get much more out of those images. Oh, wow. wow. Okay. Yeah, definitely have to check that out. So let's let's just switch it a little bit as we wind this down to um, – so we're talking about Aperture – or not Aperture. We're talking about Photoshop and Lightroom. Um, but what about from the standpoint of using plugins? For example, right now, you know, I like to talk about things that are on my brain right now. So I'm um, – preparing later to do a shoot, you know, do a model shoot and the young lady. And I was talking to Sue Bryce earlier and looking at her creative live workshop. And she mentioned that she uses the, the portraiture plugin. So I went to the image or Imaginomic, I forget, I don't know how they pronounce it. Whenever I went over to their website to look at the portraiture plugin, which looks amazing, you know, to give you a kickstart on sort of retouching before you, you know, get into the really nitty gritty pixel type stuff. And but what I'm, my question for you is on the plugin side, when you when you buy plugins, do you buy plugins for Lightroom? Because most of these guys have Lightroom plugins that are have parity with their Photoshop plugins, or do you buy Photoshop plugins and and go that way? Which which what would you suggest? Well, for me personally, I buy I put the plugins into Photoshop because I'm most likely going to be doing other things in Photoshop. But having said that, if I didn't own Photoshop, if I just had Lightroom, I wouldn't buy Photoshop just so I can put plugins in it. If I have a plugin that could work within Lightroom. And if you go in and use something like, um, let's say, on one's, uh, oh, geez, what's it called? Perfect layers. Yeah. That semi replacement for Photoshop uh, if you only need certain areas of Photoshop. Uh, so it can be where you can either just use Lightroom and then add plugins, which can make things a little faster and a little less expensive than buying Photoshop. Uh, or if you own both, I mean, I such a Photoshop guy though. I've used Photoshop for, you know, over 20 years. And so I'm in my head, I'm so used to it. And to me, Lightroom is more of a new thing. It's like, Oh, that's great. I can add that to my workflow. But my brain thinks so much about uh, Photoshop that I wouldn't, I put them in Photoshop just because there's so much else I want to do with Photoshop. I think I can bring my images so much further uh, if I want to go beyond what Lightroom offers. Love it, love it. Well, we'll leave it at that. We could we could talk for hours, I'm sure. <laughs> so, but if, if listeners, if you want to chat with Ben for hours, just uh, like we mentioned earlier, his Creative Live workshop is coming up August 22nd. And if you happen to miss that, you can always go and get it on the replay at the Creative Live website. So definitely check it out. I would suggest going for the live one though, because a it's free, and b you can interact with him with him online, like like Ben was saying. So Ben, where where would you like people to go to um, to find out more about you? 
Well, my main website is digitalmastery.com. One thing is I'm working on the photography section of that site, so I have an alternative way to present the photography, and that is a website called uh, thebestofben.com. Cool. Soon that will be wrapped into the Digital Mastery site. wanted to mention one thing real quick, which is with Creative Live, I actually have two classes coming up. The first one is the 22nd through the 24th, which is Photoshop for Photographers. And the second one is on the 25th, which is on light painting. It's a full day on light painting. Oh, cool. All right. And that's in the same deal, right? You can interact and then download it later, right? It's free while it's live. So if you can tune in on those exact dates, you can see the whole thing for free. It's only if you miss those dates or you decide you need to be able to see it again or something, then you could purchase the course. Now, just just before we, before I let you go, on the light painting course, are you going to take it take everyone from soup to nuts like okay this is the gear i use this is the camera this is the you know just like from beginning to end that's the plan awesome very cool all right see this creative life stuff is messing me up man i it's messing with my schedule because <laughs> you know? i want to see all these crazy workshops that are, are really cool well ben thank you for taking the time today where where are you by the way where is ben i am uh, about an hour from seattle right now an hour from the are you in the are you in the uh, tour bus? Yes. Very cool. And by the way, I said where is Ben? That is his Twitter handle. Where is Ben on Twitter? So if you want to follow him there, definitely check him out. So Ben, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's good. Great to be here. Okay, you can learn more about Ben at his website, and we'll put the links to Ben's website in the show notes. For this episode. Okay, let's move on to the listener Q&A. This is the time and the segment on the show where our guests, that's you guys, answer questions that have come in through our various online presences. So this first question is from Ralph, and he says, I've uh, just started getting interested in photography. I just bought a refurbished Canon T2i and the 18-55 to kit lens. And he's starting to grow out of that lens, and he's looking to buy a good walk-around lens. Um, he has his eye on the following new or used lenses. So he wants he wants to know if he should buy the Canon EFS 18 to 135 f3.5 to 5.6 IS, the 28 to 135 f3.5 to 5.6 IS USM, or the 28 to 105. 3.5 to 4.5 USM EF2. So now everybody on the show is a cannon shooter except me. So I don't have to answer this question. <laughs> so uh, let's go to Martin first. Martin, you you have a experience with a wide variety of gear. What do you think about this? Um, it, it's a tough one. I think you know um, Ralph says that he's just bought the 18 to 55, and he I, I'd like to know how he's growing out of it. Um, you know the lenses that he he mentions. What he's what he's basically saying is he wants more reach, mm. um, but none of these lenses will give him any better quality image than the one he already has. So if he needs more reach, then you know by all means go for go for something like the the twenty eight to thirty five. I mean I uh, one hundred and thirty five. I owned that a long a, a long time ago, and honestly it wasn't the sharpest lens in my bag, and I I replaced it after a few years, but it was good. For the, for the time that I was using it. For, you know, in, in the, it was probably 10, 12 years ago when I owned this lens. Um, and it was nice to get the extra reach, but I don't think it's going to be any sharper or any, any better lens than what he already has, except for the fact that it'll give him more reach and more versatility. But I think, you know, for me, my walk-around lens is my 50 millimeter. 
I, I don't even, if I'm just going out for a walk, I don't know specifically what I want. Rather than going for versatility, I just put the 50 millimeter on the camera and go out with that. Interesting. And that, and that helps you to develop a better eye. It's a relatively small lens. I think, Valerie, earlier you mentioned the 40 millimeter. I, down in, in Okinawa, I'm, I had a play with that lens and pretty much everyone down there has one. And it's, it's low profile. It's like a fat lens cap. You know, well, not the body cap. It's only, it doesn't really add any depth to the camera. Um, and like the 50 millimeter, fixing your focal length improves your photography. It makes you think more, um, you know, than, than just zooming in and out. So if, if Ralph really wants to grow, then I would suggest either sticking with his, 80, his 18 to 55 a little longer and really developing his eye or um, go for a fixed focal length. Now, speaking than- speaking of fixed focal length, Valerie, I know you mentioned before we started recording that you have that fancy new pancake lens. That yes. that, that's the one I was mentioning. Yeah, that hopefully you don't oh. stick in your back pocket and sit on. Tell us about that lens. Are you happy with oh, it? Oh, I love it. You know, I was just in Europe. I brought my 70 to 200, my 24 to 70, and my 50... The 1.8, you know, the plastic $100 lens. <laughs> well, guess one, guess, guess which one was on my, my 5D Mark II the most? It was the 50 millimeter. Because, well, for comfort, for, for one thing, because, I mean, I walk, you know, for 10 hours. And uh, the 70 to 200 never got out of the, the backpack that I carried it overseas, that I carried it uh, with. Um, and I, I did use the 24 to 70 because I wanted a, a wider angle for some for some shoots. But um, well, the 50 is good. The 1.8 is not as definitely not as sharp as the the 40 millimeter pancake. I just got it last week. I was going to buy it in Europe, but excuse me, it wasn't released yet, um, and it was going to be a hundred dollars more. Yeah. It's 199 dollars, and it is it feels very solid more than the 50. Uh, millimeter. It doesn't feel plasticky like it. And uh, it is so sharp. I, I just can't believe it. Wow. And yes, it's the size. Actually, it's the width of the back of a lens. You know, the lens cap, the back the lens, lens cap. cap. Yeah. Yes. But the one that goes on the back of the lens, it's exactly that same size. And I shoot street photography. I like to get close. And, and as Martin was saying, the, it makes you slow down and and you make better pictures with a fixed focal length uh, lens. I really believe that's true um, because because of the restriction. I mean, you, you're gonna your feet are gonna be your zoom, and um, and you're gonna have to adjust to to that lens. I mean, even going from the fifty to the forty, it took me a while to adjust because I was shooting with the 50 for so many weeks while I was traveling, but it's awesome. I would definitely tell, you know, I would, I would really tell Rolf if he wants to really improve his photography and he, he should add the, you know, either a 50 or a 40 millimeter lens to that list. And it sounds like you're both, up. you're both saying move away from the, from the zoom lenses and, and consider just getting a fixed focal length lens. Ron, would yeah. you, would you agree with that? I mean, like in uh, your adventures around the world, do you do that? Yeah, I would agree that, you know, everybody should have a, a really high quality wide aperture fixed lens because there's just so many things you can do with it. It's a whole different mm-hmm. kind of mindset and a whole, a whole different sort of, types of photos you can take with it shot wide open or, you know, in dark situations. I, I find it curious. I mean, I wish he had said 
how he was outgrowing what he already has. Because mm. I wish we knew the genre yeah. of photography he was shooting. Yeah, yeah, I mean, like Martin said, he's most of the ones he mentioned here, uh, and this is a crop sensor camera, so that you know, twenty eight to one thirty five is just is going way way longer. And I, you know, when I'm walking around, it's kind of rare. More often than not, I would rather go wider than longer. So I'm surprised, you know, that he's not uh, finding that half the time that he's, he's in a situation where he needs something wider as opposed to longer. Mm. Um, you know, that 18 to 55, I mean, my walk around lens is, is mostly either my 17 to 85 or my 10 to 22. And again, this is on a crop sensor camera. You know, I find myself using that 10 millimeter, which is like 16 millimeter on a full frame, um, a lot. You know, just because I like the, the wide angle look. So I, I'd say, you know, every, like I said, everybody should have a fixed focal length the fast lens and then really i think you should walk around a little bit more and figure out what are the shots he's not getting what's is it really right. on the longer end i mean maybe if he's out doing wildlife stuff that that's what he's, if he's doing if he's doing street photography and street portraits you know maybe he wants to get a longer lens to get that you know the shallow depth of field or maybe. yeah maybe you know very possible yeah yeah, yeah. so but again we, go ahead go ahead valerie sorry lucky for him he didn't get the canon T4i, so you won't have the rash. <laughs> the yeah. T2i. And, and make Ron's mistake, then he'd have two problems, right? Whatever he does, don't keep it in his pants. <laughs> you know, be, before, before we move on from this, sure. I mean, it, I, we should just, you know, like kind of building on what Ron's saying, it, I'm certainly, I think that, you know, I, I have a whole arsenal of lenses, and I, I basically reach for the ones that I think are going to be the, the ones for the job when I leave the house. And so it probably also really depends on what Ralph means by his walk-around lens because, you know, if he, if he is really looking for the versatility, probably from this list, the 18 to 135 will give him the most. Um, and that's based on really what Ron just said, that it's a crop factor lens. So 18 millimeter is going to be like 29 millimeters on the, on the crop factor. Uh, body. So, it, you know, probably if we were to give him a, an answer for this, then 8 to 135 would probably be the best. But it, it really depends on, on whether he wants to grow as a photographer or, or, uh, or whether it's just that he wants extra versatility. And if his versatility is after, then that, the first one is probably best. Yeah. Very good. Very good. Excellent answer for Ralph. I hope you get some out of that, listener, Ralph. Okay. The next question is uh, Nate Woodward. Basically, he wants to know what it's like to be a pro and how to start. So let me read his question real quick, and then I'm going to throw it to you guys. He says, I'm a 20-year-old college business student who has been doing photography on the side for a few years now. I was just curious what it's like trying to make a living in the photography industry, as well as how one might get started down that path. So, Valerie, let's start with you. Um, you know, you're, you're making money in the photography industry. What, what do you think? Well, first, don't quit the day job, and um, depending what he wants to do, it's he, right, Nate? Um, you know, if he wants to shoot weddings or portraits, he can easily do that on on the weekends and on his days off, and and see if he can actually make money out of it, and um, and to make a living. Uh, photography, yeah. I mean, the key I think is to diversify too. You know. Yeah. You don't want to be stuck in just one one thing because if that goes, um, if, if there is a drought in that field, then you know you're stuck. I, I totally so, agree. Yeah. But you know, um, I definitely be cautious. You know, don't just decide to go freelance and drop your health insurance and and cross your fingers. Just you know, be cautious. And if you want to be a, a wedding photographer, like he said, would he, you know. 
become an intern or an assistant. So definitely, you know, go that route um, and build a portfolio. See if, um, you know, if, if what he has is, uh, if he can sell what he, if he can sell his, his, his work. If he has talent, yeah. 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 Now, Martin, Martin, now you, like Valerie was talking about diversification. You are, you're the picture of diversification. You've got workshops going on. You sell prints online. You've got the podcast and there's advertising on the podcast. And, you know, you, you've got a number of different oars in the water rowing the Martin, the, the Martin Bailey boat. How do, what would, advice would you give to this listener, Nate Woodward, on how to be a pro and how to start? Well, firstly, I think that, we, you know, everything that Valerie just said is, is caught, you know, spot on. That, that, all of that, you don't want to be jumping into this headfirst without knowing that you've got A, talent, and B, a, a client base to, to, that's going to at least support you for the first few years. Yeah. Um, and what you need to do, I mean, my, my biggest mantra in life has, been, has always been to produce the, the best quality that you can um, within the the restrictions or the boundaries that you place on yourself. So, you know, you, you don't want to spend hours and hours perfecting something that's not really going to give you the, uh, you know, the, the return on the time investment. But you still want to try to make sure that everything you do is as good a quality as you can possibly do within reason. And that will help people. You know, people will then realize that you're, that you're the real deal, that you, you know what you're, you're doing. And you need to be able to repeat that. You know, you don't want to build a portfolio based on one one one-time wonders that you happen to shoot while, you, you know, that you, you got lucky at one point. If You need to be able to recreate anything that you do. You need to be a master of your trade. And, and the only way to do that a lot of the time is going to be to just continue to do it. You maybe work, work as a second shooter. I mean, if weddings is the way he's going to go, second shooter for, for someone for a, lot, a number of years until he really masters it. Um, but, I mean, weddings is one of the... It's one of the most grueling ways to make money. I don't do weddings. I, I know people. I, I interviewed a friend down in Okinawa a few weeks ago, Pete Leong. He, he's he's just done um, around a thousand weddings over the last few years, working for a, a company that deals with that. And he's building up. He's not getting paid a million dollars a wedding, but he's building up unbelievable experience in doing that. And he's a really good photographer. And you know, he's he's getting he's building the background that he needs to probably go freelance and do this a little bit more and get, you know, bring in his own money rather than working for someone else. Um, so, you know, put the hours in and make sure that you really know how to do this. There are so many people at the moment that just jump in head first and they don't, they don't um, really understand the game. Um, you know, yeah. just because uh, Nate has, is studying business in, in university, he, it doesn't mean that he knows how to run a business yet. It means he knows how to... You know, he knows how business. And, he knows how businesses are run, right? He doesn't right. know how to run a business, <laughs> right? Yeah. So, so I mean, and, and this again, I'm, I'm, I'm sure that Nate is got a, a, is going to end up with a really good business head on his shoulders. But right. actually putting that into practice at the same time as trying to shoot and make money from your photography is a totally different thing. So, take your time. Um, you know, probably go and get a job for someone else if if you really want to go into photography. Try and find a job working in photography. Uh, for someone else or, or, you know, freelancing from the start is going to be tough. Yeah. You need to have, um, was it, um, oh, geez, I'm, I'm, I'm drawing a blank on the name. But there, I, I read somewhere a, a few years ago that you need like a thousand um, or, or so many hundred uh, supporters. 
Is it oh, ten thousand? Oh, a thousand. It was a thousand true friends. True fans, right? And and those that was it. Yeah. So those people really, you, you know, you need to build a base of fans that are going to at least drop you a few peanuts every now and again. Yeah. And and so like like our friend Rick Salmon says, it's, it takes a lot of peanuts to feed an elephant. And yeah. and literally, I I've got little streams of peanuts coming in from a lot of places. Mm-hmm. And and it and it's still I'm still not making a million. I'm making enough to keep me ticking over and and it's gradually increasing. Um but I've been working at the social media side and and the podcast and things for 7 years now. And I'm I'm still getting to the point where I'm happy with where I am, but I I can't live like this for the rest of my life. It's got to continue to grow. Yeah. And so, you know, you've got to put a lot of work into it. You've got to really, really... I mean, I, I get up at eight in, uh, 7.30 in the morning. I start working at 8, and I rarely stop working until midnight. Love it. And, Love it. And it's, yep. and it's all about forwarding yourself. So if you're prepared to do that, you know, I mean, I, I'll probably give myself a few hours off at the weekends to have a few beers and watch a movie. And apart from that, I'm working, trying to forward my business. So if you're prepared to do that, then great, go for it. I'm in the, I'm in the same cautious. boat, Martin. I'm in the same boat. I would add a little math to that to that thousand true fans thing. So in marketing parlance, the, uh, the you know they had this whole idea of conversions, and when you like say you do an email campaign, typically you can expect you know conservatively a point oh five percent conversion rate, and that conversion rate means people that you send your message to, whether it be, be through email or whatever mechanism, 0.05% of them will actually do what you want them to do, right? So that 1,000 true fans, that essentially means you need 100,000 people following you or you are able to reach 100,000 people at a whim in order to get 0.05% or 1,000 of them to do something for you. So. I would say too that he needs to really shoot something he loves. I mean, oh yes, we don't know what he's. You know, he maybe he wants to do weddings, but you can't just go into this and say, "Oh, I'm going to shoot weddings because that's where the work is and that's where the money is." Because right. if he doesn't, if he doesn't love it, he's going to hate it and he's not going to be good at it. You know, yeah. uh, you really have to love it. So it can't it's, be work, it's good right? at the beginning. Yeah. yeah. And it's good at the beginning to try a lot of things because you don't know. I mean, I, I, I did a couple of weddings and I knew that wasn't for me, but I had to try it, you know. Mm-hmm. So I shot portraits, you know, and, and now I do commercially, I do mostly interiors and food. So you really have to do a, a lot of different things to find, to find what you love to do and what you're really good at and, and, and be able to to produce consistent consistency. I mean, your work has to be consistently good uh, to to you know, so so your clients are happy. And, it's like a and, chef, uh, right? I mean, when you when you guys were talking, I was yeah. thinking of like a chef. You can't go into a restaurant and say, "Hey, every now and then, I can make a mean souffle." <laughs> <laughs> You have to be able to repeat that over and over and over again. Exactly. Right. And that makes you a professional. Same with yeah. photography. So yeah. Ron, Ron, what about you? I mean, where, where do you fall on this stuff? Do you like, well, I, I think he's in? got the right, I definitely think he's got the right idea of, you know, get, get some experience by shadowing a more experienced photographer. I mean, I'm not a professional photographer, so I've never had to make my living doing it. But I think in, in general, the device, the advice that's been given is exactly right. You know, you don't, at, at that stage of your career, you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. And, you know, following somebody around that, that has been through the wars a little bit is absolutely the best way 
to to get it. And then, yeah, building an audience is the other piece of it. If you want to be a professional, you've got to have people that are willing to talk about you and write yep, reviews on Yelp or whatever. So Yeah, very good, very good. All right, guys, let's, uh, we're running a little bit long, so let's go through our Picks of the Week relatively quickly. Uh, the Picks of the Week segment is where you guys can pick something to share with the This Week in Photo listeners. This pick can be anything as long as it is somehow related to photography. Valerie, I'm going to let you go first. What is your okay. pick of the week? Um, well, you know, I'm still the never-ending search for the perfect bag or the perfect camera strap. And um, I love my camera strap. I have a Black Rapid. But I find that when I'm carrying like a heavy lens, like the 70 to 200, I, I always end up having it in my hand rather than hanging from my strap. I don't know why. but And, and my wrist is... I don't know. I have wrist problem on my right hand because I'm always carrying a camera. <laughs> it's heavy. So uh, this uh, spider camera holster, it works. It's like a belt. It's like carrying a gun, basically. Seriously, it looks like a, a, a holster for a gun. And um, it works great. It, um, um, the camera fits upside down. The, the lens faces back the the back towards the back and um it, it it locks in place there is a plate that goes under your camera and you can also i've never done this yet but you can also put a um how do you call it uh tripod um oh can't find the the tripod attachment the, right, underneath right. that still so you don't have to remove it to to put it on the tripod i haven't put put the tripod on there yet but uh it works it really is comfortable you know um because it puts the weight on your hips now they also make one a double one so you have one camera on each side so i can imagine like for an event shooter or a wedding shooter it'd be a perfect fit and it's very solid it locks but it's really quick to unlock and grab your camera I mean seconds, so it the camera feels safe. It's it's um it's nice. It's kind of spendy. It's over 120 bucks, um, but you know it can save your back. Wonderful. So, All right, I, so that's the Spider Camera Holster. All right. right. Cool. We'll put a link to that in the show notes. All right, Mr. Ron Brinkman, what is your pick of the week? My pick is a wonderful new book by the super friend of the show, Nicole Young. Oh, yeah. She's got a new ebook out called Finding Focus. And, you know, it's a clever little pun in that it sort of talks about getting sharp photos and, and the actual specific act of focusing, but also takes the more theoretical approach to finding your focus for what you want to shoot and, and sort of getting your mindset right for it. Uh, as would be expected from Nicole, it's full of really good pictures, and um, you know it's put out by oh who are these guys that put out these books? Craft and Vision, yeah, yes, Craft and Vision. So you know it's a, it's all an ebook, a PDF download, and you know easy to grab. Um, we'll put a link in the show notes, and there's a code that if you buy it in the next few days, it's Focus Four. Gives you a buck off of it. It's, I mean, it's only a five dollar book, so I really like these Craft and Vision books just because they're sort of quick and they're inexpensive, and yet they have great, great content. Uh, and Nicole's book is certainly one of the good ones. So check it out. Very cool. And David Dushman is a huge friend of, of this week in photo, and uh, Craft and Vision is his company. So okay. you'd be supporting, you'd be following Ron's pick, supporting this week in photo, and 
helping Nicole out and David out by just buying this book that's going to help you out. <laughs> so, Ow. That's some bang for your buck. That's, that's, a lot of, that's a lot of good loving for uh, $4. I don't know. <laughs> yep. All right. Mr. Martin. What, Martin, what, uh, what is your pick of the week? Yeah, here's mine. It's, uh, it's right in front of me right now. Uh, this is Iberian X Perillo from the Candid Frames new oh, book. I love Canon- that podcast. Yeah, the Canon 5D Mark III from Snapshots to Great Shots. And it's, it's, uh, I've not read the whole book yet, but I'm steaming through it as I prepare to talk to him, uh, on a, on my own podcast about this. But it's a, what's this? <laughs> um, I think I just, I just hit my phone. <laughs> um, I don't know how. That's awesome. Um, so yeah, the uh, it's a great book. It's laid out beautifully as well. Lots of great information. So if you have a 5D Mark III, then it's well worth picking up. And then you get a, um, at, the, at the end, they have a, an access code to unlock a video as well. So I haven't looked at that yet, but it's all very good. And Abirinex is, is an amazing photographer, so worth picking up. Okay, definitely. And that's uh, Abirinex Perillo's, um, and he's the host of The Candid Frame. If you haven't checked out that podcast, definitely check it out. He's, I love uh, it, yeah. It's very yeah. good, and it's a very smartly done interview show with some very amazing photographer so it should definitely be in your your podcatcher list uh and the book that martin recommended is the 5d mark three from snapshots to great shots published by again another friend of this week in photo peach pit press so so you can help everybody out by checking that book out um and i'll be really quick on my pick of the week um it is something that is on my desk right now that i'm looking at with new eyes after speaking with martin yesterday um, I have an HP Envy 100 all-in-one printer on Amazon right now. I think it's it's under 200 bucks. This is a really cheap printer, but it's a robot. So this printer, this printer is a it's a multifunction printer. So it's a scanner. It does faxing. It's wireless. Nothing's connected to it except power. Um, it of course is a printer and a photo printer. But my discussion with martin yesterday he was telling me that hey you you know for basically for people that are getting into printing um i also have an epson 3800 large format printer but i never it never crossed my mind to use this hp envy to start doing just smaller eight by ten prints or five by sevens as giveaways and that sort of thing so i'm looking at it with new eyes before its job was just prints you know just like um eight by ten i might print out a script for something or whatever or bill whatever you know and scanning but now i'm looking at it as a photo printer so thank you martin for giving me the tip to use that thing yesterday in our hangout and my my pick of the week is the hp envy 100 definitely check it out all right guys we are at the end of yet another episode of this week in photo this is episode number 268 coming to a close martin Bailey, yep. where can people go to find out about that workshop you were talking about earlier and just to see your work and connect with you? Yeah, the, the workshop, the Pixels to Pigment workshop is, is literally at pixels2pigment.com. And you can find everything that I'm into at martinbaileyphotography.com. There's links to everything there. Perfect. Thank you very much. And Ms. Valerie Jardin. Where can people go to connect with you and to see the workshops that you they can't sign up for right now because they're full, <laughs> but to maybe well, get on the list for upcoming workshops? And the upcoming work- workshops will be, um, the registration should be open within two, three weeks, but uh, valeriejardinphotography.com and all in one word. 
And also, well, I'm on Facebook more than anything else. Valérie Jardin Photography, my Facebook page, and Twitter, and Google Plus. But everything is linked to. Um, you can find all the links on my website. So. Okay. Perfect. Thank you very much. And finally, Mr. Ron Brinkman, where can people go to find out about that app that you have in the iTunes Store and also connect with you? Uh, how about they go check out freezepaintapp.com to find that. And there's a link over to the iTunes store to buy it, which would be awesomeness. Uh, and on, you know, Twitter all the time is just at Ron Brinkman, R-O-N-B-R-I-N-K-M-A-N-N. All right, cool. And I'm serious, Ron. Let's set up a, let's, let's trade some emails on how to set up that contest for one of the upcoming This Week in Photos about, uh, you know, and do a freeze paint contest. See cool. What, see what fun. Our, I have a feeling we have some creative listeners out there. Let's see what they come up with. I suspect so. All right. Excellent. Well, thanks, guys. And if you want to keep up with everything in the This Week in Photo universe, you can check out you guessed it, thisweekinphoto.com. Also, please support the show by leaving us a comment in iTunes. We really read every single one of those. And speaking of iTunes, be sure to check out the TWIP podcast app. It's a handy way to keep up with the shows as soon as they are released. And finally, if you're looking for me, Frederick Van Johnson, you can find me at frederickvan.com. And with that, it is time to take that lens cap off. This Week in Photo is a PixelCore.tv production produced by Suzanne Llewellyn with technical producers John Riley and Alutha Jamakar.